you know, there are kind of three pillars to to any business, uh, and that is an you, you have to plan effectively, you have to execute, and you have to have strong leadership. And I, I know those sound like real like cliches, uh, probably in the business world, but those cliches are very true. And, and if you combine that with a healthy dose of uh, straightforwardness and honesty, then you can help people, you know, to optimize their skill set. Hello. This is Alexander Lauren, and I'd like to welcome you to the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Mike Coyle is a sales and marketing professional. He's currently the VP of Sales Americas, or Power Traveler, manufacturer of portable power and solar products. Most of those that know Mike see him as a strong leader who blends the power of being honest with a health, healthy dose of empathy. He places enormous emphasis on being straightforward often at the detriment of political correctness. Strong leadership comes from being able to be honest with people to help them get out of their own way and focus on the task at hand, are words you will often hear from Mike. Combine those leadership skills with the ability to plan strategically and implement tactically, you end up with a new breed of sales and marketing tactician required in today's fast-changing business environment. Mike is currently facing his latest challenge, building a new business segment, for the company he works for, applying the strategies he has learned over the years. He is a major asset for the company he works for today. He treats the business as if it were his own and uses his own set of values and principles to guide him. Mike, welcome to the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Hey, Alexander. How's it going? It's going awesome. It's going awesome. So, <laughs> that was a great bio, and, so, and and at the end, you're lit, the lit, you're um, you're currently facing the latest challenge of build, building a new business segment for the company that you work for. What's the what's the most challenging aspect of, of building a bu new business segment for a vice president of sales? So I think um, to, to answer your question, the the most challenging part is the unknown, and and I think in in life in general, unknowns are always the most challenging parts, but. Uh, as most people know, when, when you take risks and you try things that are a little uncomfortable, that you will usually find success on the other side of that. So in this case, being the VP sales for a business that uh, it, was, it was kind of a business that that wasn't doing very well a few years ago. We, we picked them up and bought them from from this company that was having some cash flow issues. And uh, we brought on some employees that they had. They didn't work out very well. And now we're faced with building uh, a business which has enormous potential, but not within the the channels that we're used to dealing with. So uh, any business leader or, or sales professional will tell you that when you're trying to build a business without a channel that really knows who you are, uh, I mean, the name has a bit of brand equity. So that's, that's carrying us forward to a degree. But when you don't have the relationships in place, it can be very challenging to to see the success uh, that you're looking for. So we're, we're getting there gradually, but it, it's a little bit nerve wracking and, and kind of scary. And, and uh, it takes a lot of uh, creativity and hard work to, to make it work. So, so is, is step one relationships? Well, it's not that it's the step one. It is, 
the relationship building with the right people is essentially how all businesses operate on a successful level. Uh, a good example of that is any of the, the, the businesses that end up being the pillars of any economic um, uh, or building of, of the pillars of any economy um, are, are are companies that are usually older businesses that have been around for a long time and have very established channels. So, for example, here's a one a more modern example would be Apple, right? So, Apple has an incredible name. Everybody wants the product. Um, the channels have been established for a very long time. So whenever Apple comes up with something, they just feed their channel and they're literally populating the world with millions and millions of units of their, their hardware. So, I mean, they have the name, so it's an easy one to say they're going to be people. But what people don't realize is that, is that there is, you know, literally thousands of channel partners around the world that are just waiting and chopping at the bit to be able to buy something that they're going to produce. That's where every company wants to be as a hardware or software manufacturer. Tell me, Mike, what are some of the things that, that you consistently do that has helped you become the achiever that you are today? So I've, I look at uh, business, any business uh, can be looked at the same way. I've, I've, I've been a commodities broker in the lumber business uh, I've been a entry-level salesperson a long time ago in my career selling computer hardware. You know, I, I, I could sell uh, electronic contract manufacturing services uh, through the current business that we are, as well as build a channel in, the, in, in, in selling uh, batteries and, and solar panels um, for consumer, consumer use. Um, so, in other words, the retail industry. So... You know, there are kind of three pillars to to any business, uh, and that is an, you, you have to plan effectively, um, you have to execute, and you have to have strong leadership. And I, I know those sound like real, like, cliches, uh, probably in the business world, but those cliches are very true. And, and like, like uh, my bio states, um, if you combine that with a healthy dose of uh, straightforwardness and honesty, um, then you can help people to be, you know, to optimize their skill set. Um, and ultimately, you know, with the right plan, then you can, you can measure and things like that. And, and you can, you can, through a reference guide, which is the planning part, once you execute, you can keep going back to that plan and updating it and refining your process over and over and over again until you have something that really works. Um, and then the third part being the leadership part is that if you don't have strong leadership, then you don't have buy-in from your people. And if you don't have buy-in from your people, you can succeed just by kind of pushing them, but you'll never have like uber success <laughs> if you don't yeah. get people that want to do it for their own reasons. And to me, that's where strong leadership comes in. If you get people buying in to be better versions of themselves because of the way you treat them, then you're being a strong leader. And that's how you're going to get the most out of your people. I love it. So three pillars to any business, plan, execute, and sound leadership. How about when it comes time to planning? How, how do you approach planning for, for yourself and, and your businesses? Is it something that you do on, on a regular basis? Like, do you re review it often? Look at it quarterly? How do you, how do you approach that? So, 
planning is is probably the most cerebral part of uh, of the business. Where and cerebral is when I what I mean by cerebral is that uh, you're literally looking at it mathematically, where you say, okay, here are uh, the different elements of a business plan, and I, I can go into the details about the business plan, but I, I giving speaking of it from a high level point of view. Writing business plans takes practice. So I wrote my first business plan probably working on seven years ago. Uh, it's kind of a small portion of the business here, but uh, we literally took it from zero to three and a half million in two years. So that might, you know, it, it depends on what business you're in. So those numbers may not sound very big, but in this particular segment of the company, it represented uh, an additional, you know, 25% to that business segment. And it's a small staff that's feeding it, but margins are healthy. And, you know, basically what happened is we wrote a business plan. We had all the elements, competitive analysis, you know, right up to, you know, when we were going to have the inventory on hand, the pricing we were going to go with. We had pre-sold a lot of the product even before we got it in uh, just by, you know, making the market aware through through an effective marketing campaign. Um, and then once the sales guys hit those guys, when we actually had the product in hand, they actually had some sales leading up to it. And then, um, you know, we were knocking down new customers. Literally, we were getting new customers on board in, in numbers of like 50 to 60 a month kind of thing. Um, and the, the advantage with that planning part was that we could, we, we knew what we were going to do even before we started doing it. So that by the time we started doing it, we had caught in the competition off guard. And two years later, we had already carved our piece of the market out and they couldn't do anything about it. So the planning, the importance of planning is, is, um, is paramount. And the, the hardest part about it is actually keeping it updated, keeping going back to reference it. So I kind of got off topic there. But. <laughs> No, no. And how about for yourself as a, a vice president of sales? Did did you plan this out? Plan the VP sales part, like getting the job, or I don't understand the question. Becoming one. Oh, becoming. Did, did yes. you write out? Did you write out a? Did you write out a plan for your career? I did, and I actually continually do so. Oh. Yeah, I think that writing things down um, is a very powerful tool. Seems kind of obvious and silly, but I, I don't think any most people don't do it. Um, I've read up a lot on different, you know, strong leaders. Uh, for example, guys like Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. These are all I've I've been reading about them for years, and you know, all those you know, pretty much all of them came from fairly privileged backgrounds. But I don't really see that as a as as, as a deterrent for someone that doesn't come from a privileged background to be able to achieve the success that they have. And when I say success that they have, I mean, I'm not saying about making as much money as they did. Um, although that would be nice, <laughs> but I mean, like the one guiding principle that I, I've, that I see between all those guys is that they have a, a simple drive to make things happen and they don't, uh, procrastination is not something that's part of their language. They hire people to do the things that they can't do. Uh, Branson is often uh, quoted as saying, you know, the secret to my success has been hiring people that are better than me 
uh, hiring, you know, surrounding myself be- with people that are better than me at what they do. Because nobody can be great at what they do. So, you know, I, I think there's an innate power in trusting who you are and and pushing yourself to be the best version of that. So that's sort of what I do. Uh, I put goals in front of myself. Uh, I remember at one point when I had, I was a commodities broker at the time and we were, we had been making tons of money uh, one year. And then because of the, the nature of the commodity, um, we were losing tons of money <laughs> the next year. And uh, just when I thought things were all falling apart, um, I had sort of written down a plan and I said, okay, uh, I'm going to lose, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not making any money this year. In fact, I'm losing money. But I had put this post in front of me, which was a goal of a certain amount of money that I wanted to make. So that seems really silly and, and, and kind of um, unimportant in terms of writing something down. But the important thing was is that I, I shifted my focus on the bad things that were happening and putting them on what I needed to do. So I think the act of writing things down to plan for yourself um, puts you puts you on track on what you need to be doing as opposed to the fear of what might happen or dwelling on the fear of what might happen, which is what a lot of people do. How would you suggest someone start? So if someone just – is it just so simple to get a piece of paper and just start writing what you want out of life and what you want to achieve? Yeah. One one good thing to do is uh, an exercise that I do sometimes is in a seems kind of cheesy, but it's an appreciation exercise. So it's to write down uh, on a regular basis the things that you're uh, grateful for that you have. Yeah, uh, because it's it's very easy for uh, for us humans to get s- stuck in these cycles of everything that we don't have or that we're worried we won't have or something's going to go bad or and it seems as we get older i see more and more of that um and uh, i see a lot of people getting stuck in cycles like that so that tells me right away that if you focus on it and you you flip it and you start looking on the things that you do have you can actually get engrossed in the things that you do have and all the wonderment that comes from that so and that that's a bit like how I teach my sales guys to think when they're on the phone or they're in a meeting or whatever. Um, because when you have the attitude that of the possibilities, then you're encouraging people to want to buy from you. It's really that simple. So they work on it all the time. And that goes back to that leadership part, right? So I love it. I like a gratitude journal. Everyone should take on a grat- gratitude journal. And you, when you're talking about leadership, and and you'd mentioned that you've read all these books, do you feel that that was a, a key component to you, you know, currently being at the stage of your life, just reading and and seeing what other leaders uh, had had done and about and learning about their lives? Yeah, I mean, I think from a practical point of view, I don't know that I learned that much from them. I think the uh, what happened was that I got inspired by their success through their uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I basically saw that they, for them, they didn't, they, doing something else wasn't an option. So I was inspired by that faith they had in themselves. I, I've recently heard a story about when uh, Napoleon invaded 
England. When they got to England, he burned down the their, their boats. And it was like, failure is not an option. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> and and then, he, then he won, then he stole the English's boats and went back home. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you about like enthusiasm. How, how do you keep your enthusiasm? Does, like, is gratitude a part of a part of that for you? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about feeling good. So because, you know, stress inevitably creeps into all of our lives, and often uh, a lot of neg negativity is associated with stress. I mean, I can give you examples, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so the, the counter of that is feeling good. How do you feel good? Um, and actually, someone that I worked with, uh, kind of a life coach guy I worked with a long time ago, taught me some really cool stuff about uh, moving on and putting yourself in action. So, um, you know, I'd say that feeling good is probably the, the number one thing that you need to focus on. And in order to feel good, you need to be able to face any situation you're, you're dealing with, do something about it, and then move on. It's the dwelling that, in my case anyway, can get me stuck. Uh, and not moving forward. So, the dwelling, you get what you focus on. Exactly. So if you focus, if you focus 100%. on something that's, if it, if you focus on what doesn't serve you, you'll just continue to get what doesn't serve you. So yeah. So I mean, just to, and just to add to that point, because it's kind of an interesting uh, segue you 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 put put out there. Um, at the end of the day, getting out of your own way is probably the most important thing that I've learned to be successful. Um, and that that's, I mean, you're probably going to ask me what do I mean by that. So getting out of your yes. own way is really about acknowledging the things that hold you back. Like, for example, uh, everybody procrastinates at some point. So, but nobody asks themselves, why am I procrastinating? And, um, you know, as a sales leader and as a boss of people and stuff like that, you spend most of your, like, the, the big joke in sales rooms is that most salespeople are, are looking, are spending all their time looking to do anything other than sales. And it's funny, but it's true. And the reason why that happens is because they're finding reasons to get in their own way from being able to do the job that they need to do. So I learned a long time ago that I needed to get out of my own way when I wanted to be successful. And this is, I'll tell you, to be honest, uh, there are times where I still do it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an innate thing. I think there's some fears on the other side of, of um, any job that you're doing in sales. The unknown is scary. So you want to avoid it instead of going ahead and trying it and failing. So my job is to basically as a leader now is to identify in others the things that that stop them from being able to to move ahead so teaching them on how to get out of their own way and that can be a little bit tricky sometimes because i could be a very straightforward person and if i see something that someone's doing in their behavior and it's repeated and it's stopping them from being able to do the job properly that i'll just tell them straight out what i think they're doing and um that can often be uh, perceived as some type of personal attack or something like that, but it's really, it's really when you come down to it, it has nothing to do with that. It's just 
if you're not picking up the phone to call a customer and, 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 and try to create an opportunity to sell, then it's my job to be able to make, find a way to make you do that. So getting yeah. people to get out of their own way is the number one way for people to feel good about themselves. And then when they feel good about themselves, they create success. And do you find that there's a, a really uh, effective strategy that works? Like when, when you, when you're honest with someone at one of your reps and, and, and you see what's happening, do you, is there also a strategy that you, that you give to them that, that uh, tends to be successful on how to get out of their own way? Yeah. I'll often, I'll often use myself as an example and I'll, I'll express my own failures um, that I've dealt with, uh, which incites empathy. And then once you have empathy, then it opens them to be able to say, well, then maybe, maybe there's a part of me that's also getting in my own way. And it, it encourages a productive discussion between us. And often at that point, yeah. once, once you, you make that leap, um, they're just going to tell you everything they need to do. And then it's up to them whether they're willing to make that change or not. You know, and I've recently heard this that it's very powerful, even in just in sales alone, to show your vulnerability, because yeah. then it then you know people realize that it's not BS. You're just being real. Uh, do you agree with that? Hundred percent. One of the things that I was just saying to the guys here was um, because he he has a habit of. Um, wanting to make everything perfect before he goes ahead and does something. Um, and it's actually a, a blessing as much as, as it is a curse for him because his uh, execution is impeccable uh, once he has everything, all his ducks in a row. Um, but he doesn't necessarily close enough. And that's, you know, one of the pillars of any, successful salesperson is a strong ability to close. If you can't close, you're going to have a hard time. So, um, so what I try to do with him is actually get him to make, like be a little sloppy in front of the customer, ask the questions, stumble a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that when he does that, he, he feels uncomfortable. That feeling of uncomfortable will get him to grow and to progress. And so for him, it's to ask more closing questions without necessarily being prepared, be in the middle of a conversation, be halfway through your thought, don't know exactly how you're going to phrase it, but you know what your objective is and you just kind of say it in whatever way it comes out. You don't have to have perfect language. You don't have to have, you know, the, the, the exact right sentence at that right moment. You just say what you're thinking. And as long as you're trying to close the deal, then your message is sent. So the, the exercise for him there is to just trust himself more and stop depending on the planning. Do you have any other advice, uh, maybe something for the, the newest generation of sales professional? You know, I learned this from another strong leader when I was back in my uh, lumber days. Um, and it's like, if you imagine, um, a, a target, like a boat for, uh, like an archery target. And those rings that are inside that archery target, let's say there's three rings. There's a middle one, mid, one in the mid size, and then one on the outside. Um, everybody knows that you need to get to the middle 
the middle is the that is the prize. But so many people spend time, um, like when I talk about the middle, I'm talking about the middle ring. That that would be the prize. That's the customer. That's where you're making money and everybody's successful. The middle ring is where everybody spends their time. So you're kind of almost there, but not quite getting to the center. And the outside is where a lot of people spend their time um, wondering whether they're ever going to get on the inside. So it's just the different layers of customers. So the advice that I would give to sales reps is that if you want to get into the inside of that inner circle, you need to kind of take an inventory of who you are, learn to be the best person you are with the skill set you have, and leverage that to build relationships with the key people who are in that inner circle. The difference maker is going to be your ability to reach that person on a personal level. And that is what is going to create the success that you're looking for. Now, that being said, there's all this practical knowledge all around it, sounding intelligent, you know, obviously working for the right company and the right, you know, markets and trends and things like that are, are really, really important elements. But at the end of the day, the one thing that has never changed since, you know, the beginning of, of any business um, has been the relationships that people have. And this is a little bit what I was alluding to at, at the beginning of the conversation. People buy from people. And that has never changed. It won't change. There are, there are certainly more barriers now in between us and those people than there used to be. But at the end of the day, uh, once you get thrown in the mix and you are given the shot to be able to have an opportunity to work with any company to buy your products, you need to ring their bell. It's a famous line that I have here all the time. It's like, you got to ring the bell. If you don't ring their bell, they're not going to be interested. And that's what's going to keep you out of the inner circle. So get yourself into the inner circle. Excellent. And ring that bell and seize the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And you got to work hard, man. <laughs> really, especially early in your career, uh, it's all about the grind. You got to really just outwork people. Uh, another thing, you know, just to add to that inner circle part is, uh, honesty. Uh, a lot of salespeople are not honest. Um, they tend to try to find clever ways to, to get people to look, you know, at, at something else in order for, for them to be able to land their deal. Cause so to basically to not pay attention to whatever shortcoming they may have, I think, or whatever they do. But a lot of salespeople end up being full of BS, basically. Um, and when you are uh, a very honest salesperson, uh, honest and straightforward salesperson, it's a way to be able to separate yourself from the herd, so to speak. So one of the ways to get in that inner circle is to differentiate yourself from the rest. And I find being honest is one of the ways of doing that. Nice. Great wisdom, great advice. Mike, are you ready for the biggest win sales challenge? <laughs> yes, I am. All right. I've got 15 questions. I'll give you 60 seconds to answer all 15. If you're stuck, just say pass and I'll move on to the next question. Let's see how many questions you can answer correctly. The score to beat is eight. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. The clock will begin after I ask you the first question. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Let's do it. 
In a typical 60-minute sales call, how many minutes did researchers find the salesperson talked versus the client? 47 minutes, 30 minutes, or 20 minutes? 37, I would say. What state was sold by Spanish King Ferdinand VII to the Americans? California, Florida, or Louisiana? California. True or false, 92% of all customer interactions happen via the telephone. True. What, what will move you forward and closer to your goals? What, say that again? What will, what will, will, will move you forward and closer to your goals? Uh, persistence. In Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, what role did Willie Loman play? Uh, salesman. If you had to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? If I had to eat two frogs? Yes. Which one would you eat first? None. <laughs> <laughs> the sale of what was prohibited during Prohibition? Alcohol. There you go. I, I threw you an extra mercy question. You got five. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, that was very entertaining. A typical 60-minute sales call, researchers find salespeople talked 47 minutes out of the 60. Oh, I said 37. I meant to say 47. I heard, oh, the, se okay. I heard the seven part. I thought you said 37. Okay, well, we'll give you that one. So you're up to six. Uh, what state was sold by Spanish King Ferdinand? It was Florida. Oh, okay. Kind of sweet. And then, uh, yeah, you got the you got the rest. Uh, if you had to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? Uh, you said none, but I would have also accepted the ugliest. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for playing my game. Thank you for indulging me. Yeah, thanks for, for uh, having me on the show. Wait, don't go anywhere. It's not over. Oh, okay. I have to ask you the final question. Oh, okay, good. It's the it's the biggest win sales podcast. So I have to ask you, can you share a little something about your biggest win? Yeah, so um kind of cool story. I was um it's a it's a multi-million dollar deal that uh that we landed here, I landed here. Uh this is going back uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, it's with our biggest account. Um, now, the one thing is that that account had kind of fallen into a disrepair. Um, they were one step, but that we had lost uh, quite a few products to, uh, to our Japanese competitor. Um, and we were starting to basically see a, the business decline. So we had an opportunity that came up. Um, I had been working. So talking about working on getting in that inner circle. So I had, I had been working hard for some of the local people uh, working in this, in the subsidiary location. So these were Americans um, that were working within this corporation's uh, subsidiary location at their head office in the U S and uh they had managed to get me a meeting with this particular Japanese individual who was really the, for all intents and purposes, the, the one that was holding all the cards. And, and the interesting thing is, is that this person in these cases, many times these people don't even have a title. They have a very low end title 
and the, the, the locals all have the senior titles. And so it's kind of a game they play to be able to basically uh, control cards of the business without necessarily anyone knowing that you're the one controlling all the, the business. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, I kind of figured that out. And um, we were going after this piece of business and, and the guys that he was working with were kind of on board and, and they introduced me to him. And he, he actually said maybe one word to me when I first met him, which was like, hello, and that was it. Uh, then we went on to have this meeting. I had about a, a 20 minute presentation. Uh, I felt like I did a really good job hitting all the, the, the sort of hot button points and uh, showing a lot of enthusiasm. Um, anyway, so this all culminated in, in a, um, in a closing question for me, which was something along the lines of, you know, if we were to be able to produce these products for you, uh, at, at the price that, you know, that was reasonable, and obviously the quality and all, all the rest of it was there and we could reduce your lead times, blah, 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 all the, all the typical sales stuff that you hear about. Um, I said, you know, how would you feel about, you know, giving us a shot? And uh, he didn't say anything for two minutes, literally two minutes. So there's me and four of, four, four of us total, so three other guys, and we're all staring at this guy. And... He's, uh, he, he's, you know, speaks very broken English, uh, you know, but, you know, very intelligent man, obviously knew, you know, what he was doing because he wouldn't have had that position of authority. Uh, anyway, so for the next two minutes, he, he kind of made these very strange, almost comical looking, you know, facial expressions that were all, you know, this, this highly like almost uh, animated uh, expressions <laughs> of like pondering, basically. And uh, I'm sitting there kind of looking at him and, you know, as a salesperson, you know, silence is, is, is a pretty difficult uh, thing to deal with because most salespeople never stop talking. But anyway, not that I'm like that, but um, <laughs> anyway, so I was sitting there waiting and then he finally just pondered, stopped pondering, stopped making the faces and then looked up at me straight in the eyes and said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. And the funny thing was I ended up, I, I went out for dinner with him and his wife and his kid. And then like, he was just like chatting me up the whole time after that. So it was a very oh. process. I think that the, the, in that case, you know, the Japanese, um, they are, they're very traditional people, uh, yeah. big on respect, big on protocols. Um, and, and this was just an example of how he was going through his own series of protocols before he made a big call like that. Cause it was, there was quite a big piece of business. So yeah. that must've been excruciating <laughs> waiting for two minutes for an answer. I, mean, I think that was the people, longest two minutes of my life. I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I suspect that most people would not have the patience to wait two minutes. Like, how do you. How, how did you stop yourself from uttering a word? Well, because I knew if I said anything, I was going to kill the deal. That was, uh, and it's actually a technique that I've, I've learned through a sales training coach years ago. Um, there is a silence technique where you phrase questions when you're inciting silence. Um, and you basically, uh, you're kind of forcing the other person to be able to come forward and, and, and say something. It's implicit that they're the ones that need to speak next. Um, and you've tried, and if you've done your job properly, th they, 
they it's very hard for them to say no at that point. That's excellent. Wow, that trading really came in handy. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, Mike. It, you know, it was really great to connect with you. Could could you please let the listener know how to connect with you? And if there's anything you'd like to add, go for it. The floor is yours. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, if if anyone else wants to reach, reach out to me, just look for uh, Mike Coyle. Look for Power Traveler on LinkedIn. I can be found there. Um, uh, you can also reach me personally. Um, perhaps you should reach out to Alexander and then <laughs> I can give him your email. I don't know if I want to be putting my, my personal information out in, into the public world there. So, um, and I guess on, uh, on a parting note, the last thing I would, would want to share is, uh, one of the things that helped, that's helped me a lot. And, it, and it's a continual work in progress is um, is learning <clears throat> learning to be present. So by present meaning um, never looking too far ahead, never looking too far back, and always and always staying focused on the task task at hand. So because I find that um, when we're getting in our own way it's usually because we're worrying about the future or we're dwelling on the past. So be present uh, and you'll enjoy uh, great success in your life. Very good. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, no problem. Well, that concludes today's episode of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Stay tuned for the bonus portion of the show. It's the podcast on a podcast, the Sales Podcast Improv. Listener, if you'd like to connect with me, send me an email at alexander at zencareers.ca or call my office at 647-417-0517. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a wonderful day and goodbye for now. Welcome to the Sales Podcast Improv. This is a micro-podcast about a sales interaction with a sales professional and a customer. I wrote a bunch of words, cut them out, and my dad, Alexander, placed them in a box. While you hear this message, he's picking a random word. He and his guests will create a 3-5 to five minute sales improvisation on that word. I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye! Wow, this is a abnormally cold store here. I've come to buy some snow. Snow, you fellow, do you work here? What's what's your name? Yeah, my name is Mike Coyle. Hey, yes, Mike Coyle. We have snow. <laughs> I've I've noticed. I've noticed the uh, amounts of snow. And you know what? I I've been really looking for some snow. Um, and I find that this is a very odd um, uh, odd store. What made you decide, if you don't mind me asking, what made you decide to get into the snow industry? Well, snow is a uh, is a prized commodity in many parts of the world. Mm. Um, and we knew with uh, with the the uh, 
the, the inception of the, the internet and the, the global economy that um, we could share the, the, the snow that we had with the whole world <laughs> and that um, it would only be a matter of time before those who hadn't seen snow would you know want to come and experience the, the wonders of uh, this great white stuff. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Now, you know, I know that there are two snow companies in town, uh, you know, Snow Globe down the road and, and your store. I'm sorry, what was your, what's this store called? It's called Orma Snow. Orma Snow. So what makes Orma Snow, the, uh, your products, better than Snow Globe? Well, I think that uh, the, the first thing uh, about our snow is that uh, we are the largest supplier of snow to, uh, to the uh, Hollywood Studios environment. So we have several mm. companies like Universal Studios, for example, that purchases exclusively our snow mm. for their sets. And the reason why they do so is because of its consistency and likeness uh, to uh, to the real thing. Oh, so that's wonderful. So we have the credibility of, of that with the with with our customer set, um, as well as um, you know the real the, the 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 real life feel and look of our snow. Hmm. Well, look, I'm I'm glad you you're sharing this with me and you know, I have to be up front here. I I was really for looking some for some snow to eat. Uh should I go to the other place cuz this seems like it's just snow for show. Oh, okay. So you're looking for like a snow cone kind of thing? Is that what you're looking for? Oh, yes, I'm looking for mass quantities of snow that I have um, 28 large freezers in my basement and I just want to pack a whole bunch of snow uh, and, and just store it so I can enjoy it in the morning, afternoon and, and evening. Oh, well, that's uh, quite a coincidence because we have another uh, artificial snow making division um, and uh, it's a Quebec based company. Um, we are in the fortunate position of being able to have very strong relationships with with the, all the major mountains here in the, the what's called the Laurentian mountain range. Oh. Um, and we sell uh, lots of snow machines. In fact, we're uh, they're running a um, a snowboard competition this summer of all things, uh, and we're the featured sponsor because we're managing to produce snow in the middle of the summer while these these crazy snowboard guys do major air and do tricks and you know please uh the please our customers so um you know with the with our snow making machines i'm sure we could have your freezers filled uh, very quickly and at a very uh, aggressive price point fantastic fantastic by the way how do you make a relationship with a mountain <laughs> uh well you, you, do I don't lots, know how you, would... you do lots of climbing <laughs> okay there's like a field in the backyard I'd like to have a relationship with, but I don't know how to approach it. Yeah, I guess uh, our relationship with the mountain would be the people that are running the mountains. Oh, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know what? I think that um, this is fine. I'll look into purchasing the machine. I'm going to go check out Snow Globe, but I really appreciate your help. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, my, my, uh, my pleasure. If... Um, if if 
you know, if I were to be able to provide this snow that you're looking for to fill your, your freezer chest, as you mentioned, you know, at the, the right price and the quality that you're looking for, is there any reason why you wouldn't consider giving us the business? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. I just want to make sure that I have, you know, healthy organic snow. That's all I want. Well, all of our products are, or, uh, you know, GMO and uh, naturally uh, organic. In fact, the uh, the water that uh, goes under the pressure system to produce the snow is all uh, groundwater that, uh, you know, many of the major bottled water manufacturers are using to be able to, uh, oh. to be able to, uh, you know, feed the world with, with plastic bottles and water. Oh, wow. Excellent. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Why don't you just ring me up a machine and I'll be out of here. Fantastic. How much does it cost? Uh, you don't need to know that. I will close. No. I'm just kidding. I'll close. I can just close my eyes and hand you the, uh, my MasterCard. All right. There you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I could send you a quote when we're done here. And I think you'll see that price point and, and everything is all very straightforward and, and, and no, not too many questions asked, and it'll be at a very aggressive price. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, sir. You're welcome.